Welcome to Volpen or Codcast Channel. My very special guest today is Nick Johnson, and uh, welcome, Nick, to the show. Thank you very much, Don. Cool. So Nick and I are old friends in some respects because we've been around for a while, but I'm going to dig into Nick's bio a little bit, and then we can have a chat. So Nick's the co-founder and MD of Asia's premier networking organisation called Executive Global Network, EGN for short. <laughs> um, Australians like to shorten stuff, so that's good work. Um, he built a caring community that provides hundreds of executives a safe haven to share their challenges and receive support and learn from each other. Nick is also a number one best-selling author of Executive Loneliness, which we'll talk about today. And Executive Loneliness is an incredibly serious condition and in some cases can be fatal. So we'll kind of talk about the consequences of that and, and how Nick puts it in his book. So welcome back again, Nick. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool. All right. So... Um, I probably it's probably the only book I've probably read recent times because it's your book and we actually published your book, so there's a bit of a conflict of interest here theoretically. Um, but I think it's because we also understand how the book works, we can we can really dig into it. So um, tell me how you got to where you got to now. Like I, I know there's an incredible backstory about how you got to where you are and the whole idea behind executive loneliness because I think it's something that people don't want to talk about. Um, it's it's kind of like the same sort of scenario when you when you you know depressed people don't want to tell people they're depressed right so you end up in this loop yes indeed uh, john uh, this topic is so full of stigma and taboo and most people don't want to talk about it the only reason i decided to start about the topic that is that i was actually so ill that i realized it was close i was going to die so when you reach the point in your life when you feel that you've been given a second chance, that you really shouldn't even be alive, uh, then what do you have to lose? Um, and that's why I, I, I thought I'd better make something special of this gift, uh, call it a second life or whatever it is. And I felt also that I need to see if I can at least spread a positive message because during these times when I was sick and uh, sadly also I lost a good friend of mine to suicide, and that's when I actually decided to uh, go out with my story in the open. Uh, until then, I had only shared it with my wife and a couple of close friends. But as my friend died of suicide, that's when I realized I might have been very close to this myself. Mm, and it's interesting. Actually, I was, I was going to try and find it in the book, but there's a, there's a picture of the book of your foot. <laughs> Just like it doesn't look like a foot at all. It looks like a slab of meat. <laughs> it's like a, it's like it's quite, and it's like it would how you basically let yourself go in terms of physical as well as mental, right? So it wasn't just a, it was you, you managed to do damage on both sides of the fence, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. And, and that swollen foot, that was indeed a, a scary incident. It was around April 2018. And I remember lying there in my bed wondering what's wrong with the foot. And I, I went to the doctor, we did x-rays and they did all kinds of tests and they couldn't find anything what was wrong with it. Yet it was big like an elephant foot and I couldn't even put on a shoe, you know. So uh, it was only later on a psychologist actually um, uh, diagnosed this as a psychosomatic illness. So that's basically how bad I was mentally that it was showing up on the outside. Showing physically, and I mean that, and a lot of times that's not necessarily the case. Like, I mean, people die of heart attacks and stuff like that because they're, they're internalizing everything. But your body actually yelled for help, didn't it? <laughs> In some respects, you at least, you, well, I guess you had no point, choice but to pay attention at that point, right? 
Exactly. And uh, uh, I mean, I, I realized how close I was to a heart attack at that time. Also, I could really feel it. My blood pressure was so extremely high that it was like walking on eggshells uh, the whole time, basically. And I knew that the time was there. That's why I even wrote my will, my testament, and I prepared everything I could at that stage because I just thought I was going to be gone. Wow. Yeah, that's a very confronting thing, right? Like, and I suppose in some respects, though, it does force your brain into survival mode then, doesn't it? It starts to make your brain starts thinking, hang on a minute, you can't do that to me. <laughs> well, it does that until you actually lose hope. When you when you lose hope, that's when you go relatively quickly. And uh, I, for some reason, you know, I, I was that far that I lost my hope also because my health was so bad. Uh, but I guess my day was not there yet. There was something bigger than me who decided that I should go on, and for that I'm grateful for. So what was the turning point? Like, obviously, if you got to a point where you're basically, you know, about to jump off the bridge, essentially, um, what what sort of stopped you from that and what sort of went off in your head to start changing things? Well, I was actually so sick that there was no way I could do anything about it. I could just lie down. Uh, so I wouldn't been able to take any action to go to a bridge in the first place. At that stage, uh, I was just lying, <laughs> basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably probably good good. yeah, it was a good thing. I, I was so wouldn't sick. come. <laughs> yeah. What, what happened was actually, uh, because I realized my days were gone, I decided to get married. And, All uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> <this> is, uh, <laughs> so so I, I actually uh, that was my turning point I got married and I decided to tell and my wife had been with me uh, for two years at the time uh, but I had not really told her the complete truth how I was feeling and uh, she didn't really realize I was pretty good to hide it um, I put on a good smile and a good face and it was only inside me I felt so sick and so bad and so I told her, and as soon as I told her, she immediately uh, showed empathy. And that helps a little bit just by uh, someone actually knowing what's happening, showing empathy. She also gave me some support. She went to with the doctors uh, with me. She also went to some other person to uh, to speak to. And uh, she, she actually supported me to join a support group as well. And very, very quickly after these things happened, I started to recover. Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? Like in some cases what um, people don't want to do is ask for help because they think they feel weak or, you know, people are going to think less of them. But the reality is that it actually works this other way around, doesn't it? Exactly. So that was the turning point there where I just, you know, uh, starting to talk to a few people. And uh, very, very quickly it it changed. But in my case, it was also to really the diet and uh, and to stop consuming alcohol, which had become a problem at this mm. stage. Yeah. And so, and, and now you're running Ironmans, right? I mean, I think I saw a photo on LinkedIn recently where you, you finished the race or something. I can't remember exactly what happened there, but I know I saw a picture of you doing a race. Yes, indeed, John. And um, I'm doing one on Sunday. I'm actually in Europe at the moment, so I'm doing right. one on Sunday. And uh, uh, I'm grateful to for the health I have now, and yeah, you have to keep going. Yeah, so rather than running away from something, you're running towards something, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I guess in some respects, and when we spoke to you about your book originally, we sort of th thought, well, what's the the major key thing for your book? And I mean, originally the book was going to be a different thing because things changed a lot with the pandemic last year. So you kind of went through a, a very different sort of. 
idea from the get-go because originally you had a, had a job, right? And then you ended up actually taking over the business in, in Singapore in the end. And, and, and this, is, this is actually, you know, person-to-person networking. You know, you should go to an event and actually meet people, shake their hands, which seems like it's not possible. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that anymore. But, you know, that, that was an incredible hard part of what was going on as well, right? Yeah, I think we were about half way through the book at that stage mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, indeed uh, my my head office wanted to li- minimize the risks and they realized that there's no franchise owner to our business in singapore uh, and they didn't want to put themselves in such a high risk situation during covid and uh, because it is a franchise business and other countries are owned by franchise owners who are experts in their market so the ball was passed to me and i said no i'm not interested because this was in march uh, 2020 when definitely mm. people were the last thing they wanted was to go out and attend an event and yeah. uh, i said no uh, but that was a pretty good starting point for a good negotiation yes. <laughs> <laughs> well that's interesting because i went through a similar thing because when i was working for sage i got a six-month job and i actually um and we started to turn it from a big loss to starting to make a break-even profit and they go oh, we're not making enough money we want to get out so i can take it off your hands then and so we took it off their hands on a fee and ended up being the second largest sage distributor in the world out of it. And I think the problem, there was an opportunity there I could see that other people don't see for whatever reason, right? There's opportunities for everything. And I mean, obviously, when you think about it, you know, you've managed to be able to sort of future-proof yourself a little bit now because you've gone online and offline and you've got that ability now to kind of pivot whichever way works rather than being tied to one thing. Exactly. And uh, we just had one event this morning in Singapore and uh, the regulations all over the world now, of mm. course, is different. And it's uh, very hard to know what, where can you meet 50, where can you meet 500 and so on. And Singapore now this week has gone one step towards opening up a little bit. Mm. So we had uh, one hybrid event happening this morning and uh, I think it was about 25 people in the room and about 11, 12 online. So this event would not have been possible before. It would have either been 100% online mm. or it probably would have been in person most likely. So yeah, it, it has had some good effect actually on how we are working and how we are networking. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like I think it's a kick for you know belt in the back of the head sometimes because I think basically it shows how weak that industry was if it just totally relied on people showing up, which was hard anyway, right? I mean, getting people to show up to networking events is hard enough as it is, <laughs> um, in my experience. And so yeah, I think it, it in some respects it gives that whole networking industry a whole kick so they can actually try something new rather than just stay you know attendance based. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we were in the business of getting people to attend before. That was the biggest challenge and the whole infrastructure around, uh, you know, pushing, making sure that they come there. Once that is done, the rest is relatively easy because once you have people in the room, magic happens. Mm. And you don't have to do, you don't have to prepare much. You no. just have to make sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they let them do the heavy lifting. Then you just you just got to get them in the room. So when you go online, that's a little harder. Right. It's much tougher to do. Yes, exactly, because people might just switch off the camera and <laughs> join the next meeting. That's right. So, yeah, it's a bit scary. So um, I guess part of what came out of this, though, was the fact that as you started talking about executive loneliness, that it started to sort of had a bit of a ricochet effect, didn't it? So people started coming out of the woodwork talking about it, which is really what we originally want to spoke about, right, is that people don't want to talk about it. And so the book mm. actually started that off. So what's your kind of vision for this for this scenario of what you've done now, what you started. <laughs> yeah, I think the timing was obviously perfect because we we had done half of the book 
uh, by the time the pandemic strike, which also means that the surveys and interviews was done pre-pandemic. And we had a chance then to redo these the same survey with the same audience and get different results. And that was what was quite remarkable. Uh, just to give you a few numbers. And so in 2019, when I surveyed uh, executives, uh, about 30% were suffering from executive loneliness. Uh, the same poll then in uh, December 2020, the numbers had doubled, wow. so 59%. So that was really a reflection of what is happening and mm. people obviously feeling more isolated in their decisions, uh, working from home and under very stressful situations as well. Uh, so that that changed the whole thing of the book. And I mean, these findings obviously also stands out. And my next call after this, uh, uh, John, is to rehearse for a radio interview where they want to know a bit more about this tomorrow. Mm, okay, well, we can do a bit of rehearsal now then, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> we can test a few things out. <laughs> so um, executive loneliness, how different is the loneliness? Like a normal loneliness is obviously, you know, you're not married, you, you know, perhaps you you've lost your spouse or you just never never got married in that scenario. So it's a very different that loneliness depression to what we're talking about executive loneliness. So what's kind of the definition of that in comparison? And obviously it's got some similarities. Well, let's just say that the, the, the first loneliness you referred to there, John, is, is the healthy loneliness. Yes, we are home alone and we miss someone and that's, that's a good feeling. But there can also be the loneliness where you are in a crowd around your family, perhaps your close friends, and you don't feel the connection. You might have lost that connection within yourself. Most often, it means that you're not really well. Uh, you don't, you're not happy with yourself, you don't love yourself, or there's just something there. Maybe you're extremely unhealthy. And uh, so what is it then to love about yourself? And if you if you don't feel happy about yourself, then it's really difficult also to feel happy and feel a connection with other people. So that's the first step. And then if we take it the next step, then what is executive loneliness? And in the case of my book, and it, it, it's about at work. Um, it can be a senior executive, but it can also be an executive. And it's about a feeling that you are left alone to make uh, the decisions. And especially uh, as the saying goes, it, it's lonely at the top. So the higher you go, the more lonely it becomes. Uh, and that's exactly the kind of uh, profiles that I interviewed for the book. So it's interesting. I've, I've read somewhere once, and I think it's a pretty good thing. So what you, what you say to yourself when you're alone is the most dangerous thing. Yeah, we spend most of our time in our own head, isn't it? Yeah. So the biggest problem now is that if a lot of people, I think, in, in business, particularly like if you're doing networking and everything, like they, they get around people, you don't have time to think about stuff, right? You're talking to other people, you're worried about what you're going to say, so you don't have to talk to yourself. And I think... The downside of something like a pandemic is that you get locked in, locked away and then you, it's only you, right? So I can imagine why would happen those statistics would go through the roof. But then the ramifications of that is massive then because people start making decisions that aren't necessarily, they start getting paranoid, right? I mean, I used to find when I had staff working remotely, if they didn't come to the office and get interacted with the rest of the staff, they started thinking that everybody was against them that there was someone plotting that they were going to get fired or something. All these things come up because there's no one else around to say, hey, that's just rubbish. And you know, what, what are you saying that? It's got nothing to do with it. But you don't have that reinforcing thing. So you're actually lost in your own head. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, while people have been left alone to spend time thinking about things, they've still been also very isolated where they haven't had time to meet 
to discuss things with the colleagues. And there's so often that actually the most important part of a conversation happens at the coffee machine or at the break, or you go for a lunch break after, or you have a coffee morning. And because of these common, these matches have not happened, it's been so transactional. When we meet for a meeting, we discuss the things and, and then you go and do the job and then you just do transactions again. And that just means that the relationships are breaking down and it becomes more tense between people until it, it just boils over also with all the pressures uh, that have happened. Uh, and we still see it today, John. I think uh, with many of the travel restrictions, families are separated and, mm-hmm. and uh, people have, have not seen the boss face to face for soon two years. Yeah, they all change bosses and they don't even know who the new one is, right? Because <laughs> like things have, because there's been a big upheaval in some businesses as well, particularly businesses that are like that are very, you know, tied to that, like travel businesses, for example. Like I can imagine that those those businesses have had such a huge change in in business and also staff. I would imagine. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, we see we see big shutdowns of businesses in Asia, but a lot of new businesses are coming up. But it's. Uh, yeah, it's been shuffling around a lot. Because it's interesting in Australia now that the unemployment rate is lower than it was March last year now. So, okay. so it, bizarrely, it's actually better now in this in June than it was in March last year. And obviously you had a whole, because of the amount of money that was pumped into the, into the economy itself. But what I did notice was there was a lot of part-time staff, a lot more part-time staff than full-time staff. So you can see that a lot of new businesses probably employ part-time people or they've restructured. So the nature of that, of what's going on has changed. So you might say, oh, you've got a job. You might be getting less money. You might be doing different work. So there's a major change in upheaval and that can cause that whole depression and loneliness as well because suddenly you're out of your element, right? You're not, you're not in the same place you normally are. Yeah, that's right. And the gig economy, you know, it it also comes with a lot of uncertainty and anxiety. You don't know. You don't know in three months where you're going to be. When the next job is. So um, in your book, you talk about we, we sort of like took the five steps of of how to kind of handle this. So mm. in some respects, I guess we talked about the first step, and that's actually acknowledging you've got a problem, right, and, doing, and, and actually telling people about it. Because I think once you do that, you've started the conversation. Um, what's what's next on that list once you've made that conversation you sort of highlighted it you know what's the kind of the next step in that in that logical process yeah indeed we covered the first and the second step there John that was the taking stock and asking for help and then it's really getting healthy maybe physically or mentally and uh, that's the next step to you got to sort that out and uh, in my case it really was to exercise it was to get rid of the alcohol and it was to eat healthy um, while it sounds simple and uh, there's so many books around it, it it's really it's really fundamental because uh, if you're pouring poison, poison in yourself, maybe alcohol or food, uh, then it, you just don't have any chance. Uh, and I then at that stage, uh, I could hardly walk. So I had to really get a fitness coach and just set some targets to get out for a walk and stretch it a little bit. The first few months, it was nothing more than a, a five kilometer walk, what was was stretched to. Then I added some cycling and then some swimming to that and just kept going. And after one year, I completed an Ironman. So uh, it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? How fast things change. I mean, I remember last year, like um, I, I probably needed to lose, I needed to lose about nine kilos roughly, right? That's, so that's not massive weight loss in comparison to some people, but it's a fair bit to lose. And so I just started walking every day, maybe twice a day. And 
what I noticed was that I did that and lost six kilos and then I got busy with stuff and I stopped doing it. And I'm still exercising, but not that, that regime of going walking. And, and I hurt my foot at one point there, so I had to stop it anyway. But one on yesterday, I went to decide, okay, I'm going to start this walking in the morning again business and it's cold here, it's winter. And so I set the alarm and I turn the alarm off and I get out of bed. And I'm going, I'm not, you know, start talking about your little head goes off saying, oh, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, start sort of talking yourself out of it. I forcibly like forced myself to get out of bed, <laughs> like literally just like get the hell out of bed, go do this. And then when I and but the thing was that what happens then is that you get back, if you reward yourself somehow, then you're positively reinforcing the fact that I'll do it again. And when I got, so I listened to an audio book. So I'm almost like going through that reward process. Almost like you're, you're training a dog to do something, right? It's almost like you, you do something and you give him a sweet or some sort of treat. And obviously eating sweets not a good plan after doing exercise. But, you know, like do that kind of process where you trick yourself into it. And it's not not rocket science, right? If you actually just trick yourself into it and then do it. And, oh, that wasn't so bad. I'll do that again tomorrow. And and those little baby steps is probably the only way to get there. And, and I just walked two days, two times a day for about three months or something, lost six kilos, just, you know, went away. And the doctor said, what did you do? And I said, I just walked every day and weighed myself every day. That's all I did. Didn't do anything else. I changed my eating habits because of the result of the, bra- the brain starting to start to think about it. Oh, well, hang on, don't eat that. You know, and that's, you know, it doesn't have to be, re- you know, regimented and, you know, get some coach to call it yeah, every five minutes and say, where aren't you walking? Yeah, exactly. We have all the devices these days that you can track these matters, right? Mm. uh, Well, actually, I did that too. It's interesting, actually, the Qantas here, because obviously it's interesting to look at a travel company and how they pivot, right? So Qantas had nothing, like grounded completely. What do they do? They start selling all their services on the side, right? So they got insurance and, and health cover and all sorts of stuff. So they brought out an app that when you walk, you get reward points for flying, right? Was that brilliant? And so yeah. it came out in June, which is when I started walking. So I started doing that and, and tracking the time. I think I'm earning frequent fly points here. And I worked, I think I, I walked about, um, I forget the distance. It's quite interesting. It says it in the app, but it rewards you, encourages you. And it was like a cool wellbeing app. And, and I think I basically, um, you know, in the end, I probably earned about 10,000 frequent fly points or something. <laughs> but I walked thousands of kilometers. And, and and that was basically off the back of flying. In reality, no one's going to fly anytime soon, right? And get a dog and put the device on the dog and you can fly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You don't need to. Because it actually tracks. Yeah, yeah. Get into the app right now. What's to verify me? Um, and, and so, yeah, but I think I looked at the numbers. It was thousands. It's because it's it also says if you if you walk this distance, where would you get to? Like it says something like Paris or something, right? So when you actually start seeing how far you walked in the thousands of kilometers, and it's like, oh, I was walking, you know, 5K a day or something like that. It wasn't massive distance, but it adds up. So it reinforces the fact a little bit adds up to a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's about doing it daily. Yeah, yeah, just those, those daily habits. So um, so what are you working on now? Obviously, you've got that you got the media going, and that's good because, I mean, at the end of the day, once you get the media's attention, um, they tend to go after each other then. You know, once you get on one TV channel or, or radio show, they watch each other. So then suddenly they want you on their show. So that helps. Um, so what's your kind of plan? I know we did some website stuff and stuff like that. So, so what's your long-term plan here to sort of as a movement? 
Well, I need to repackage everything into something more positive because while executive loneliness seems to be really getting the attention of the media and it stands out in social media articles, there's no organization really uh, where the HR organization, we should go out and run an executive loneliness week or campaign. It's just mm -hmm. too negative. So while I'm in the spotlight now, it's not necessarily uh, something uh, that is positive. So I, I need to repackage everything and uh, I'm working on that at the moment. How can I repackage this into uh, resilience, emotional intelligence and uh, about the happiness? So uh, that's what a project that I'm working on at the moment. So I'm trying to change this into a keynote and a one day course. So basically the learnings, this should be about being healthy and happy rather mm -hmm. than the term executive loneliness there. Yeah, and I think that's the problem, right? So you've identified a problem, but if you don't identify a solution, then then there's no, you know, everybody's just running around doing nothing. So, I mean, by taking some action, and I mean, I mean, the book was never designed to sit there and depress the hell out of you. It was designed to say, okay, you've got a problem, how do you fix it, <laughs> right? It wasn't designed to say, oh, I'm going to get you even more depressed because you've, you've now discovered you've got this problem you didn't know you had. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, that, that mission of looking at and improving someone's situation um, and yeah, it isn't, you know, I think the biggest problem with entrepreneurship is that it's a lonely job because your family and friends don't necessarily understand what the hell you're doing and why you're doing it. Because they go, well, this doesn't seem right. You're still, you're working longer and longer hours for less and less money. Why the hell are you doing this? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I, I'm working with a coach now. She is actually, uh, she's done some great TEDx talks and she's now writing scripts for TEDx talks and, uh, and public speaking. So just to have a coach to also talk you through that bit of it is it, really, really helpful. Put yourself in the audience sh uh, shoes and think about, okay, which is the audience who would you like to target this for? And then we're repackaging it and trying to use as much of the material we can from the book uh, but also benefit from all the media exposure and so on and being in the spotlight. Uh, but yeah, just repackaging it and selling it in another way. So are you going to try and get on TEDx? Well, I would. I have to think about what is the new idea. Um, mm. So I haven't really come up with a new idea linked to this yet. Because it's interesting because I've, I've got a client, we've got a, we've got a contact to get people on TEDx guaranteed or, or even get them with TED because TED takes a lot more work. TEDx is like a, a sort of a mini version of it and you can get in, in easier, it's still hard, but TED you've really got to pitch. But one of the interesting things that happened with my client was that he had to tighten this thing up to a 13 minute presentation and the amount of work that went into that to come up with that very nice package, every word counted, every picture counted. Um, I think it's a really good exercise for anybody to do because I think if you can't you know, cut your whole thing down to 13 minutes and what you do, then that's a long conversation with a prospect, right? <laughs> like you've got, to have, you've got to tell them a lot of things. So 13 minutes to really encapsulate your entire thing is tough mm. to keep and be engaging and, and entertaining at the same time, right? It can't just be some boring like slideshow presentation. It has to actually have some sort of grit to it, right? Exactly, and and how to remember all of it and make it still authentic when you present it. That's all very challenging. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, Warwick, because he did two. He did one in Melbourne and he did one in um, in um, in America, and he flew back the the weekend that COVID hit. So he managed to just do it in time, and just like got home and, and COVID hit and everything was shut down. So a week later, and he would have been doomed. Um, and one of the things he did was he actually recorded it. And then kept playing it back to himself and kept going and going to get that right. And so it is hard. 
But mm. it certainly was worthwhile exercise. I think even if you even don't do a TEDx talk, right? I think just going through that exercise of getting it really tight and getting really rehearsed in what you do. Because what I noticed with a lot of public speakers is they have the same talk every time. So yeah. it's not like they are suddenly winging something. That's their keynote talk. It's always the same. And I think most entrepreneurs think they've got to change it all the time. And then that creates confusion and they end up in a situation where it's never really clear. Yeah, that's right. I've given my keynote now probably around 30, 40 times. The next time is one time tomorrow. And I I don't change much. It might be one slide or one part of the presentation just to acknowledge which is the audience and try to find something which is you can connect with them and build some rapport. But that's it. you got to keep it the same. And that's the thing about the message, right? If the message isn't clear and consistent, then then no one will ever get it and therefore you'll get nowhere with it. So, yeah, it's certainly um, something I find the most entrepreneurs struggle with because they want to keep changing stuff all the time and it's, it's dangerous because then no one gets confused and no one understands what you're talking about then. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's talk about your book. Um, and I happen to have a copy of it, just coincidentally, <laughs> as well. Um, so there you go. Got one here as well. <laughs> <laughs> you got the paperwork with the hard cover. There you go. Very good work. And you got some coming, I hope, soon. It's probably in the in the in the boat soon. So um, so basically, you can get it on Amazon. You can pretty much get it when it, wherever good books are sold as well as you can go to your website and get it as well. So um, at least in the digital version and the link. So um, basically wherever you buy your, <clears throat> you know, buy your books, you know, next book should be there. So um, what's the best place to go to to do that? I, I had down here nickjohnson.com so we can put that up on the, on the, um, on the actual show notes so people can get to that. Yeah, that's fine. And we also built the web page uh, for the book itself, which is executivelonelinessbook.com. Yeah. And if someone goes to uh, executivelonelinessbook.com, then you can see all the different sites there where you can buy the book there. Okay, yeah. cool. And there's also a book bonus of, that they can get as well. So I mean, I probably should go there first and then find out and then get the book and then and make sure they get the book bonus as well. Definitely. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Nick, for coming along. I think I really appreciate having a chat about it. And I think it's a subject that, as you said, no one wants to talk about. But as soon as they start talking about it, they won't shut up about it. Right? <laughs> so it's a, it's a good. I think it's a good cause, and I really appreciate your time coming along. Pleasure. And by the way, I have a gift uh, also for the listeners. Uh, can we? Can I give yeah, that? Let's go for it. Yeah. Uh, they, we also have the community. Uh, leadersanonymous.com so perhaps uh, if we can share that uh, we can yeah, give we'll them a free that. a free membership the basic membership there cool no worries that's excellent good work glad you remember that <laughs> <laughs> right, so we'll put that show notes up there as well in terms of links and everything so if you didn't get it on the on the audio or the video it'll be on the on the bottom of the page below them so that'll be great all right so, fantastic excellent well you have a great day and i hope your radio interview goes well thanks john you have a good day too <laughs>